0: Love Thy
1: Neighborhood. Okay, cool. Oh, definitely. definitely. Awesome.
2: Discipleship and Missions. Missions! For modern Modern Times. All right, Jesse. So we obviously love stories here on the LTN Podcast.
3: Yeah, of course, yes.
2: Okay, here's a little story for you. It's actually a riddle.
3: Oh, okay, okay.
2: Okay, here he goes. A traveler comes to a split in the road, which leads to two villages. In one village, the people always tell lies. And in the other village, the people always tell the truth. So the traveler needs to do business in the village where everyone tells the truth. Yeah, that seems like a better place to do business, yeah? Makes sense. So a man from one village is standing in the middle of the split, but there's no indication of which village he's from. The traveler approaches the man and asks him one question. From the village man's response, the traveler knows which road to take. So what did the traveler ask?
3: Okay, okay, let me think about it. So if he just said, which way should I go, that's that's not going to work because then mm-hmm. the liar would say the opposite, and so he would end up at the liar's village. Mm-hmm. Um, hold on. He would ask, which village are you from? Because if he's a liar, he's going to point to the truth village, and if he's a truth teller, he'll also point to the truth village. So either way, the traveler will end up at the truth village.
2: All right. You got it.
3: Oh, my gosh. I feel awesome gold star let's wrap it up
2: all right yeah i like this riddle because you know sometimes this is what our experience of discerning god's will can feel like like a strange riddle where you know one choice leads to abundant life with god and the other seems to lead to certain doom you know choose wisely and you'll be walking with jesus choose poorly and you'll end up in a village of liars
3: You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm
2: Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Anna Tran. Today's episode, discernment. The fog, the face, and the fork. We have three stories about people who have decisions to make and their attempts to discern the will of God.
3: Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. Okay, so Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. But I think, like, the truth is that, you know, the path that we're supposed to follow rarely actually feels straight. It feels more like a long, winding journey through unknown lands and dangers, with plenty of crooked
2: steps along the way? Yeah, well, I don't think that this verse is promising any easy or direct path. You know, what it is saying is that if you trust God, he will give you what you need moment by moment to follow him. But actually, I really like this image of a journey. So I think today we should go on a little quest. What do you think about that?
3: Oh, I like this. I thought you would. What are we gonna do?
2: So like any good mythical quest, we will face a series of challenges.
3: Oh my gosh, what challenges are we gonna face?
2: Today, we have the fog, the face, and the fork.
3: The fog, the face, and the fork. What what does that mean?
2: So, you have to wait and see. These are gonna come to us in the form of three stories.
3: All right, well then, what's our first story?
2: Okay, so I talked to a man named...
0: Rob Shetler.
2: And something very true about Rob is that Rob is a people person. Throughout his life, Rob has often pursued work that is all about interacting with and helping people. In his early 30s, he finished his master's degree in clinical pastoral education. But he found himself without many options for ministry jobs.
0: And we were barely making ends meet, really. And so I had a couple part-time jobs, and I really didn't know what was next. I was really in despair.
2: One day, one of his school supervisors at the seminary told him about a different kind of job caring for people.
0: She said, Rob, there's a hospice um, down in eastern Kentucky that's looking for a chaplain. And wanted to know if you might be interested in this position.
2: Rob goes over for an interview. He gets the job, and they quickly sent him off to work.
0: And basically, they gave me a binder of about 70 or 80 patients in three counties and said, go visit them.
2: So Rob moved his family over to Eastern Kentucky and he dove right into work.
0: So I'm driving into the hollers of Kentucky, the hills and getting lost all the time.
3: Do you know what hollers are? Kind of. I mean, when you go into Eastern Kentucky, they're called the hollers. And it was like the folklore is because people could holler and it would echo and echo and echo. And so it was these places like down between the hills. Okay. And so when you're in a holler, you're in the middle of nowhere. Mm. It's very
2: remote. Out there. huh? Yeah. So this type of work was really life giving for Rob. No two days were the same. And he was always interacting with people.
0: There's many times when I would walk away from a visit and I would say to myself, this is why I'm here. Heart-to-heart conversations where someone would share something maybe they never shared with anybody.
2: And so as a hospice chaplain, Rob would visit people who only had a short amount of time to live because of their medical conditions.
0: Their prognosis is six months or less, and there's nothing else that can be done.
2: And like, even with the sadness and the grief that you know, obviously comes with imminent death, Rob experienced a lot of great depth and connection with his patients.
0: So when you meet a person that's kind of looking at the end of their story, facades seem to come down really quick. And they want to talk about serious stuff for the most part. And so when you hear people with the fortitude to push through situations and you hear the details of those, those stories it really moves you. You get lost in time. Time seems to sit still and you just get caught up in the moment with them or hours with them.
2: And this type of work can be super taxing, you know. There were plenty of times along the way where Rob just questioned if he wanted to even continue chaplaincy.
0: There was times when it's like I would ask myself, you know, how much longer can I keep doing this? but I would sit with people and process that question.
2: He would sit with trusted friends to talk about the wide breadth of struggles and joys in the work.
0: You know, there's other beautiful situations that I've experienced that would just fuel me, encourage me deeply. So you have both and.
2: And so Rob, he continued to work as a chaplain, but then one day after 22 years of working in hospice care and hospital care, Rob encountered a tragedy that shook him. After decades of sitting up close with people with horrible pain and grief, on this occasion, the pain, it punctured through. So, one day in 2019, Rob and his wife are driving through Oregon.
0: For our anniversary, and we are driving back to Boise where my son lives.
2: They see red brake lights as the cars are decelerating in front of them.
0: We got stuck in traffic and we didn't know what was the traffic was about, but it turned out it was an accident with a, a motorcyclist and a semi. So everybody was slowly passing the scene. The police were there, but there was nothing covered and it was horrific. It was It was terrible, gruesome.
2: And at this point, his wife was driving and the scene was so overwhelming for Rob, he could not keep looking.
0: We were passing the scene and I was like, I gotta close my eyes.
2: And then something really odd happened.
0: And when I closed my eyes, I saw myself running out of the ER at the hospital where I worked.
3: Hold on, what What does he mean He saw. he, he saw himself? Like he had like a vision?
2: Something like that. I'm not really sure if that's the language he would use exactly, but essentially, yeah. When he closed his eyes, he suddenly had like a really vivid scene in his mind of him running out of the emergency room at the hospital where he worked.
0: And I was like, what? I I was shocked. Like, why am I seeing the hospital after just witnessing this two minutes ago?
2: Rob and his wife, they keep driving. They pass the scene. Rob was really shaken. Even though he and his wife are still on vacation, you know, he's supposed to be enjoying himself, it's their anniversary, but he just couldn't stop thinking specifically about the motorcyclist in the accident.
0: So I got on the internet, looked up the little town and looked up the newspaper, and sure enough, his name was there. And from there, I just went to see if I could find him on Facebook.
2: Rob kept hunting, he kept learning.
0: And there was pictures of him. There was pictures of his kids, pictures of his motorcycle.
2: He finds out this young man's name, his age, and then he finds out the terrible reality of what he just witnessed.
0: And he was a single father of two young boys going to work one morning.
2: So when Rob got home from vacation, he just couldn't shake this unsettled feeling of heaviness.
0: I mean, that really spun me. I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know... What a category to fit what I experienced and what was stirring in me together. Like there was a a disconnect. I just couldn't shake that.
3: I I really sympathize with this guy. Like Mm. he saw this horrific thing. And how do you make sense of it? What does it mean for my life? You know, it's like super disorienting.
2: Yeah, and like, when I think about discernment, I kind of think of this aspect of like a foggy field, you know? Oh, wait, 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 the fog. Like, this is, this is the thing yeah, you were talking you about, it. the first challenge. Yeah, the fog. This is the first challenge a lot of us face. You know, when we're in the fog, we're lost and disoriented. We aren't really sure, you know, like where we are, where we're supposed to go. We can tell that, you know, something is stirring, but we can't figure out what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: It's like our uh, options are limited or like we don't see any options at all. I'm looking at like Rob's situation. I mean, he's got this unsettled feeling that he can't explain. uh, And I mean, it sounds like the next step is going to be like he's got to figure out what he's going to do with all the stuff he's feeling.
2: Right. And here's the deal. Even though Rob has been a chaplain, you know, a guide for so many other people who have felt lost, suddenly... He realizes that this time, he's the one who's lost. He couldn't figure out where his life was or what he's supposed to do. And the truth is, this scared him. He needed someone to help him.
0: It's like, I need to talk to somebody. I needed something spiritual to kind of understand. And so that's why I sought out a spiritual director.
3: Okay, so hold on. You know, we throw around this term spiritual direction. I've heard it before, but like what is it exactly? It sounds mystical. People can hear that and go like, "I don't know what that means. Is it a shaman? Like what is that?" <laughs> well, here's how Rob puts it.
0: So, spiritual direction is sitting with someone in a non-judgmental presence to be able to talk out the depths of someone's faith. Talking, listening, praying together to sense what the Lord's doing in someone's life in that moment.
2: So spiritual direction, it's not a new thing. It's rooted in Christian tradition, and it's been around for centuries.
3: Okay, so I get the words that you are saying and the words that Rob is saying, but like what does that actually look like?
2: Okay, well, let me just walk you through how Rob experienced it. So within a couple months after seeing the accident, Rob met with his spiritual director. He would share whatever was on his heart, whatever was on his mind.
0: Where I was at, what I was feeling, what I was trying to figure out, what did this mean? And he just listened to me.
2: The director would prompt Rob with questions to draw out more of his story.
0: He gave me such an open space to relax, listen, to pay attention to what I was feeling, pay attention to what I desired and paid attention to things that I never recognized before. Like, what bothered me and what didn't bother me. What, Where was I feeling drawn to?
3: Wait, hold on. Why is he sitting here and he's, like, talking so much about his feelings and his emotions? Like, I can just imagine a lot of people listening are going, like, that doesn't matter. Like, obedience matters. Intellect matters. Truth matters. Emotions and feelings are irrelevant.
2: Sure. Yeah, I mean— I think a lot of times when Christians think about discernment, we think about it in purely decision-making terms. Like, it's really easy for us to forget about our emotions, our desires, but those are really important ingredients when we're trying to discern things. You know, for Rob, before he could figure out what actionable decisions to make, he really needed to understand how God was speaking to his heart. So one day, when Rob was sitting with a trusted friend, They were sharing about life, and Rob was just sharing with him all the things he was processing with his spiritual director.
0: I said, you know, just this incident now has me stirring and longing for something different, but I don't know what that is. And he stopped me, and he said, Rob, I've known you for several years now. You've been talking about this longing for a long time. He says, the incident, the, the accident just awakened you to, there is a deep longing going on inside you. I mean, I said, are you sure? <laughs> he's like, yeah, Rob, I'm, I'm very positive. Yeah.
2: And now Rob is left with this one question. What is it exactly that he's longing for? So Rob continues to meet with his spiritual director and talk with his friends, and he eventually is able to articulate what he's longing for. And he names it. And what he names is this.
0: That I wanted to step into something new. I've been doing chaplaincy at that time for over 20 years, and all of it has been crisis-oriented or death-oriented or trauma-oriented for the most part. I was tired. I was tired of seeing suffering. I was tired of the crises. And I wanted to just experience a different context of care.
3: I mean, gosh, like, that that's what he's getting at then. He's saying that after almost 20 years, like, he's ready to turn over a new chapter. He's ready to walk away.
2: Well, maybe. But that's the point. He doesn't really know. You know, the first step was just to give himself permission to acknowledge that he was exhausted and that, you know, the years of working with people in crisis situations had just caught up with him. He was asking himself, you know, is this what I want for my life?
0: Like it was a daily conversation. Like, am I supposed to step away from this? Because I wasn't sure if the longing was more I was just trying to get out of a tough situation, trying to escape or whatever, or was the longing like leading me somewhere? The thought of stepping away from a career was scary. So I started doing things differently.
2: So Rob tried changing up his daily work tasks to see if a different structure would help him, you know, feel differently about his work. He changed his schedule. He changed his focus at work, his approach. He even changed some of his strategies. He changed, like, everything he had in his power to change.
0: So I got to a point where it's like I've changed up everything I know to change up.
2: But the feeling just wouldn't go away. So Rob... Finally, just decides.
0: I'm just going to start embracing the longing. And so I really started saying, Lord, are you inviting me to step away?
2: Rob starts specifically asking his friends and family about this. And they would ask him over and over.
0: So what are you going to do then? I'm like, I don't know.
2: But then there was a moment when Rob decided to shift the question he was asking. Instead of asking, should I step away from this job? He asked.
0: Lord, will you just surprise me what you have for me? Because I don't want to make nothing happen. I don't want to try to figure it out and manipulate or make something happen for myself. And so I started just praying, Lord, just surprise me. And at that point, I knew that resignation was was coming. I just didn't know when.
2: So he knew he couldn't stay, but he also didn't know where to go. You know, in his heart, he could feel one door beginning to close, but he had no sense that any other doors were opening at all. So fast forward a little bit. At this point, it's been about two years since Rob witnessed that motorcycle accident. He's had countless conversations, prayers, sessions with his spiritual director. And it still felt like he was just treading water with no land in sight. But then in August of 2022, Rob was finishing up one of his shifts at work.
0: I remember being at the end of my day and it was a great day. Like everything just fell together at the hospital. Like this was a good chaplain day, you know? And I sat in my office and I was just reflecting and talking to the Lord about it. And I just got quiet and listened kind of letting something surface. And I just felt like the Lord said, Rob, when you resign, I want you to resign in a good place. And I thought, well, I'm in a good place now. Am I supposed to resign now? And I actually said this out loud. I'm in my office, door shut, and just nothing, nothing happened, nothing. It's like, okay, well, I guess it's not today.
3: Oh, that was not at all where I thought that story was going. I I know, right? I thought we were heading in a different direction there.
2: Yeah. But the next day becomes a really important day. As he often does, Rob got up early. It was about 5.30 in the morning, and he presses play on the devotional podcast he listens to. When suddenly, this verse is what he hears.
0: And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life.
2: And Rob is
3: stunned. I mean, yeah, like that verse is pretty, it's a clear message.
0: And I just remember hearing that and I was just like, jaw drop, like, oh my.
2: And so now, Rob feels two competing forces raging in him. The first is a clear message from God to trust him. The second force is his own fear. What if I fail? What am I even going to do with the rest of my life? How will I pay my bills? And so, he finishes up his devotion, he drives to work, and the whole drive, he is having these two forces just competing inside of him. He gets there, he's walking towards the hospital, and then... He feels God's voice silence all the others. And this thought enters his heart and mind with total clarity.
0: The Lord said to me, Rob, you know I'm going to take care of you, right? And it was so profound to me that I stopped in front of the hospital and put my hands out. And I started crying. And I said, Lord, I do know You'll take care of me, help me with my unbelief.
2: 20 minutes later, he walks into his supervisor's office and he resigns.
0: I walked out of her office and I felt like 10,000 pounds was lifted off my shoulders. I was full of joy almost immediately, like excitement grabbed me. It was beautiful.
2: On Rob's last day at the hospital, with his office empty and car packed, he's talking with one of his friends, who's another chaplain.
0: And this thought came to me. And it was the memory of that me running out the door that I saw two and a half years. And I looked over at my brother and I said, you know what, I'm gonna walk out the ER doors. I'm not gonna run. I was walking towards the ER doors, he was walking with me and we said our goodbyes and I walked out the ER doors and I took about 10 steps and I put my hands in the air and I said, Lord, thank you for this chapter of my life. I give it back to you, do with it as you will and lead me forward from this day.
3: Okay, so, I mean, did Rob ever find his next chapter? Like, what did he end up doing?
2: Today, Rob is actually a spiritual director himself. He was so deeply affected by this that he wanted to do the same thing for other people. He wanted to help other people discern how to hear God's voice.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of like, uh, like he's paying it forward a bit, and and like I love this too because like if you look at Rob's story, he didn't make this decision impulsively. He didn't make it without seeking the wisdom of others. You get a picture of patience, testing his inclinations, community involvement. But ultimately, his big moment came when the word of God pierced his heart and confirmed what he sensed God was telling him to do.
2: Yeah, Rob's story is, I think, just a really helpful picture of how all these ingredients work together.
3: Okay, so we conquered our first challenge, the
2: fog. The fog. So what's next? Okay, so this next one is pretty crazy. So prepare yourself for the face. We'll be right back.
4: Hey, this is Kirsten, the recruitment assistant at Love Thy Neighborhood. We recently asked some of our alumni how serving with us has impacted their lives.
1: My name is Silas McCord, and I am from Raleigh, North Carolina.
4: Silas served with us for a summer as a videography intern, and he shared one of the ways he experienced close Christian community during his service time.
1: The greatest part was just being able to be completely open and honest about everything that was going on in our lives, and a lot of these guys are like very different from me. Just being able to see how relationships can still grow because of those differences has been really awesome to see that God is kind of ordaining all of those differences.
2: If you
4: want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30 through the areas of service, community, and discipleship. You'll grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org.
3: Love that neighborhood podcast. Jesse. Anna. Okay, so today's episode discernment, the fog, the face, and the fork. So on the journey of discernment, we have conquered our first challenge, the fog.
2: Yep. So now it's time to face the next challenge. The face gonna face the face face the face. That's right You know sometimes in the Christian life you get a very strong and clear impression from God to do something that seems just ridiculous like so strange so off to be in path that you wonder if you're going crazy and It's at that moment when you have to decide will I jump off the face of this cliff or stay safely where I am. Oh the face of a cliff. That's it. Ah, what what is the story? Okay. So this story actually comes from you and former producer Rachel Zabo. Ironically, it's also from a man named Rob. Rob Fisher.
3: Oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh, I still think about this story on a regular basis. Like, it is so bizarre and, like, mystical and beautiful.
2: Yeah. When I was thinking of a story that really embodies what it looks like to jump off the face of a cliff and into the unknown just because God calls you to, this story was at the top of the list. So here's former producer Rachel Zabo and Jesse telling Rob Fisher's story.
3: Rob Fisher's in his late 20s He's a tall guy Really tall With a voice and a laugh That immediately fills the room And at the time he was living in Michigan Not too far from his parents actually Which meant that he would visit them From time to time And that's actually what he had done On this particular fall evening
1: I decided to leave and go home And I lived about 10 minutes from my parents' house uh, in Jackson, Michigan at that time.
3: They'd mostly been talking politics all night. They actually prayed for our country and our leaders right before Rob decided that he should head home. But as he left,
1: something odd happened. When I was going out uh, in my parents' driveway to the car, I opened the car door and it was almost like a tightness in my chest or like maybe not a tightness, but a heaviness in my chest. That heaviness quickly turned into something
3: Rob had never experienced before.
1: It was like this very strong knowing. It's like a feeling, just this really strong urging. It's like my whole body became a satellite that knew what was the next right thing to do. That's all I can describe it as. What I felt, or what I had a knowing about, I like knew these words. I can't even say he heard these words really, but I knew these words. Go to Seven Eleven. There's a guy named Jim there, and I was like, Wait, what?
4: Hold on. Okay, what is he talking about? Like, his body is like a satellite? I, I don't know. This sounds like some kind of new agey weirdness <laughs> going on.
3: Well, you're not the only one who found this, you know, a bit strange because
1: Rob was also caught off guard. And I'm getting into my car and closing the door and I'm like, am I crazy? Go to 7-Eleven? There's a guy named Jim there? Uh, This is kind of weird. <laughs> So, I, I was kind of confused by it, honestly.
3: Yeah, you know, why would he all of a sudden feel the need to go to a convenience store and talk to a stranger? So, at this point, Rob quickly deduces that there are three possible explanations. The first one being that he's just somehow made all of this up in his head.
1: My mind was going a million miles per hour, like, why am I going to go to 7-Eleven? I don't even like 7-Eleven. Honestly, like I I don't go there for anything. So it was just kind of out of character. The truth is that Rob hadn't even set foot in a Seven
3: Eleven since he was a kid. And as far as somebody named Jim, he didn't know anybody named Jim, except maybe the character on The Office. So the option that he was making this all up, it just didn't seem to fit. The second option was that maybe this was from a more sinister source.
1: Another filter was like, uh, would the devil tell me to do this? (laughs) And even though I wasn't like in that world at the time, I had grown up as a charismatic. So I was like, you know, there's all that spiritual warfare stuff. And I'm like, is the devil telling me to do this? And I quickly decided, no, no, this isn't the devil. I mean, maybe if it was like, go to 7-Eleven and rob it.
3: Okay, so he decides that that option does not make sense either, which only for him left that third option. And that option was, this must be God. And if that is the case, if God is the one talking, what does this mean? Okay, so he's in his
4: parents' driveway. It's like, you know, 8 o'clock at night or something, and now suddenly God is giving him directions? Like, that also doesn't make any sense.
3: Well— So Rob decided to test the idea.
1: And I was like, Lord, if this is you, I'm really not sure if it is. Give me something else. Give me something to tell this guy. I don't want to just show up and say, hey, Jim, and not have anything to tell him.
4: Okay. So did he get a response?
1: I started getting these downloads in my heart. I I don't know how else to describe it. Um, The download was... Give him hope for his finances. I was like, uh. So, Robert asked a question, and he got an answer. So, he decides, okay, let's do it. I was like, I could be crazy, but uh, I think I'm going to roll with this and just see what happens. Because it's never happened before, why not just try it? If you know I see Jim, I will give him hope for his finances, whatever that means.
3: So here's the thing, where Rob was, it was rural, a bit isolated. There was only one 7-Eleven in town. So at least he knew where he was going. So Rob's in his car and he just starts driving to 7-Eleven.
1: And I created this whole scenario in my mind of I'm gonna go in, there's gonna be a guy named Jim behind the counter. And I'm going to see his name tag. I'm going to talk to him and give him hope for his finances. And then I'm going to walk out, and it's all going to be good. I get to 7-Eleven, open my car door, and there's no cars in the parking lot. And I'm like, ah, Jim better be in there. (laughs) I open the door to 7-Eleven, look at the front counter, where you know all the lottery tickets are and the snack food and it's a girl there's nobody else in 7-Eleven and you know I'm, I wouldn't consider myself the smartest guy in the world but I deduce pretty quickly that her name wasn't Jim
4: wait so he was wrong like so it, it wasn't God speaking to him because like There's not a gym at 7-Eleven.
3: Well, Rob wasn't quite ready to
1: conclude that, and he wasn't ready to give up so easily. So I went over to make sure that Jim wasn't, like, hiding in a snack aisle somewhere. I went over to the hostess section, you know, where they have the Little Debbies, the Ho-Hos, the Ding Dongs, the Twinkies. I just go up there, start grabbing snacks and looking at the nutrition.
3: So, I don't know if you feel like this, but like when I'm in a gas station or a convenience store, I feel like there's like a time limit to how much browsing you're allowed to do. And like if you take too long, then it starts to look like you're up to something shady.
4: Oh, yeah, definitely. Like there's a corner store near my house, and sometimes I'll like go up and down the aisles multiple times looking for something. And I, Totally feel like everyone's watching me.
3: Yeah. You know, so Rob's standing there. He's browsing the snacks. And one minute turns into two, then five, then ten. Like, he knows the girl at the counter is watching him because he's the only person in the store. And he just starts feeling, understandably, really self-conscious. I'm like, Lord,
1: I think I've missed
3: it. Either he misheard the instructions or he took too long to get there or it really wasn't God after all.
4: Man, I don't know why, but like, that's so disheartening.
3: Yeah, you know, so Rob decides to stop creeping out the girl at the counter
1: and just go home. Right as I decide that, I turn around, my back is to the door, and I turn around and in walks this guy. He's an
3: average middle-aged white guy, he's probably late 30s to mid forties, just a very normal looking guy. He had on a mechanic shirt and a baseball hat. And so naturally, Rob is looking at this mechanic shirt and what is often on a mechanic shirt.
4: Yeah, the name in both. Yeah.
3: Right. And so Rob starts looking for a name.
1: But the interesting thing about it was his name wasn't on it. And that same knowing, that same feeling i don't i don't even still know how to describe it but i knew that that was jim stop what i saw the words slash heard the words that's jim go up to him boldly and say hey your name's jim isn't it so i'm like oh my gosh
4: Like, literally, he was about to
3: leave. I know. But if this is Jim, Rob feels like, okay, well, I got to
1: go talk to him. He grabs something really quick. Like, he's, you know, he's on a mission, I could tell, because he grabs something really quick, goes to the register. It's like a candy bar or something. So I go up to him, tap him on the shoulder, and say, hey, uh, your name's Jim, isn't it? He turns around. And he goes, Yeah. How'd you know?
4: (laughs) Yeah, like how is Rob supposed to answer that question? Well, you see, I know because I became a satellite and God spoke
3: to me. Well, that's actually a version of exactly what he ends up saying.
1: And I go, Well, God sent me here to give you hope for your finances. And he looked at me kind of weird and he goes, Well, That's really strange, man. Right now, I'm going through a personal bankruptcy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what the heck?
3: Yeah, like, what are the odds, right? You know, there's no way. Like, if you went to a random gas station and went up to somebody, how likely is it that you would, number one, guess their name correctly, and, number two, know something about their personal life?
4: Yeah, and, number three, be in the store at the same time the person is in the store.
3: Yeah. But Rob realizes, like, that this is where the instructions stopped. Like, those were all the instructions he had gotten. Go to Seven Eleven, talk to Jim about his finances. So now Rob's like, well, what should I do? You know, it didn't seem right to just be like, well, I guess that was it. I'll see you later.
1: So I just kind of started talking to him about how much the Lord loves him and— how much the Lord wants to give him wisdom in all things, including his finances. And I didn't know what else to do. So there was an ATM there and I was like, Hey man, um, I can go to the ATM right now and give you some money, you know, to help you out with your bankruptcy. And he goes, no, don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. I'm a believer. I love Jesus. And he goes, but. I've never had anything like this happen. I pray with him, just ask the Lord for wisdom for his finances and that he would be taken care of. And he goes, well, thanks. Thanks, man. He goes, now I know the miracles really do happen. And he opened the door and left.
4: So... Like do we know like what happened to Jim? Did he like
3: get out of bankruptcy? No, we actually have no idea how that experience shaped Jim. We do know that it shaped Rob a lot.
1: I never saw Jim again. (laughs) I definitely never went into 7-Eleven again. (laughs) I wasn't looking for signs after that like, Hey Lord, uh, who do you want me to talk to in 7-Eleven next week? I don't necessarily think even that experience was just for Jim, I think me being able to engage in that was a gift. And if somebody says, hey, Rob, God isn't real, well, I would have to absolutely deny that experience. Like, oh, well, my human connection just knew, or the cosmos just knew. I mean, I would have to make a god out of something else to explain it away. I think the truth is that Rob
3: realizes that this is a mystical experience. Like, facts and figures and pure science, the tangible world cannot explain what is happening. And so Rob knows, like, I will have to attribute this to something that is beyond the world around me. You know, I think he just, he's looking up at the stars and going like, someone out there is causing all of this to happen. And like, Rob's not going throughout his whole life thinking that every single moment, you know, he's gonna get these sort of mystical experiences. He knows that these kinds of moments, they aren't the norm.
1: Looking back on that, as I've had more times of prayer, that's kind of what it's been like. It hasn't been like, hey, Rob, go out and do something to change the world. It's been like, yeah, go take cookies to your neighbors. It hasn't been like this uh, Red Sea moment or like let my people go or anything like that. It's just kind of been like, do this act of really small compassion that nobody's going to notice. I think that in hearing God speak, I don't think it makes me mature. It just means that God was willing to use me.
2: When we come back, we face our final challenge on our quest for discernment. And it's probably one all of us have faced at one point in time. So prepare yourself for the fork. Stay with us. Here
3: at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships. And we've actually created a brand new way to do that with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, Grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays. And all proceeds go directly to support Love That Neighborhood. So go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store. And get ready to say more. Because better
2: relationships
3: are just a question away. Love That Neighborhood podcast, Jesse Eubanks.
2: Anna Tran, today's episode, discernment. The fog, the face, and the fork. Okay, so I just
3: want to go ahead and uh, take my official stab and guess at our final challenge. Uh, Okay, so we have uh, made our way through the fog, which turned out to be like when people are very disoriented and confused about things. We have taken a look at the face, which is the moment which we have to jump off the cliff because God's asking us to do something crazy. Like a cliff face. So now the fork, I'm going to guess, it's when we come to a moment in the road in which we have to choose, are we going to go left or are we going to go right? And we have to make a decision.
2: Yeah, you got it. Because, you know, sometimes we're presented with just a simple but endlessly confusing choice of two options.
3: Right. You know, like we're standing at the fork in the road and we just have to decide, like, am I gonna go left, am I gonna go right? And then, you know, which path is it that God wants me to take.
2: That's right. And we're going to face this challenge through the story of a woman named Sabrina Chan. So, growing up, Sabrina went to church a lot. Her parents immigrated to the United States from Hong Kong, and she and her family straddled two different cultures.
5: I went to two different churches. One of them was a mostly white church that we had grown up in, and then my parents had had us participating in the Chinese church
2: on a lot of Sunday mornings and on Friday nights. And although she was steeped in different church cultures, Sabrina wasn't fully engaged in a relationship with God. Faith in God to her felt more like, just like religious legalism.
5: So I I would show up to church, I mean, I I had to go.
2: (laughs) But mentally and spiritually, I was just checked out. So when she went off to college, she went as far away as she could, leaving Richmond, Virginia and landing in Houston, Texas. So after her first year of college, her parents were kind of worried about her faith. They knew that it wasn't something Sabrina was engaged with. And so, as a result, I don't suggest this (laughs) to people,
5: but they told me I have to go to this Christian camp over the summer. And honestly, it was a pretty terrible camp.
2: So this wasn't your stereotypical fun and chipper type youth camp. Well, this was kind of a,
5: a fundamentalist, Christian apologetics kind of camp.
2: And Sabrina was very clear, this is not a camp she would endorse even now. Well, while she was at this camp, one of the very last nights-
5: There was a testimony time and I thought, I know exactly how this is gonna go.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, like I totally know the formula, you know, it's the last big group time, everybody's bonded, everybody's had like a great time together. Yeah,
2: people might start crying because they're getting so worked up about leaving each other. Yeah,
3: cue Michael W. Smith's friends.
2: Yeah, people are giving their testimonies.
5: Kind of the traditional, I didn't want to come, and now I'm so glad because you're all my best friends kind of thing.
2: Okay, so Sabrina's looking around and is seeing all of this young adult emotionalism. And she's just skeptical, holding back. But then a young woman about the same age as her gets up and begins to share her testimony, talking about her own story and her own encounter with Jesus. And to Sabrina's own shock, as she listens to this young woman, she feels something different begin to happen inside of her. She's heard stories like this dozens of times before, but like this time, it's just hitting her differently. It's like the image suddenly went from 2D to 3D in her heart.
5: There's more to it than the rules. And even if they're saying all the things you expected them to say, there's something deeper, there's something deeper that these that is here. So I felt like, oh, maybe a way to respond is like just to even pray and talk to somebody.
2: So when Sabrina got back to college, she got to know some Christians on her campus. And when they would study the Bible together, it was totally different from the rules-based faith she was used to
5: it was refreshing to sort of be able to ask questions and not necessarily have all the answers at the end of the time. To know that that could be an ongoing conversation, more open-ended, right? Like, that really meant a lot to me.
2: And looking back on her experience, Sabrina definitely doesn't blame her parents.
5: I think they were hoping I would come back to the faith, and maybe this was the best tool they knew of. But I find it... Grace that the Holy Spirit used that space in my life.
2: And as time goes on, Sabrina is more engaged with the Christian fellowship on campus. And eventually, she even steps into various leadership positions in the ministry.
5: remember there was this one day I was walking to class, I think. I studied electrical and computer engineering, and I was thinking about what was coming up that day, and I was thinking about my classes, but I was like more excited about the different ministry things than I was about class.
2: And as she thought about it more, she started realizing something. You know, what really
5: makes me want to get out of bed in the morning is seeing the ways God's changing people's lives and
2: And this thought, it caught Sabrina's attention. It caught her curiosity.
5: And so that just started a a spark of like, oh, I wonder, maybe that means something, maybe it doesn't. I was like, well, I'll I'll just pay attention to that. I didn't feel like that meant something right then,
2: necessarily. And as it turns out, that thought was pretty significant. Because as Sabrina begins looking ahead into her senior year, she begins to seriously consider going into full-time ministry as a career. But here's the catch. In addition to her own questions about whether God wanted her to do it or not, there were two additional barriers as well. First, she had majored in electrical computer engineering, a career that promised to pay very well. And second, she felt her parents deserved to have input in her decision. On one weekend, her parents came for a visit. They came my
5: senior year, and I remember they came to visit our Friday night meeting with me to sort of see
2: what the fellowship was like. Her parents were able to see her college ministry firsthand, meet her friends, and Sabrina was able to express. This is something I'm interested in, I want to consider,
5: but they still expressed Reluctance. It wasn't clear to me exactly why, but then that letter came in the mail and that was more clear about what they were thinking.
3: Whoa, that sounds ominous a letter in the mail.
5: right From your parents. Dad wrote me a letter. We had email back then, but he still wanted to write write a letter. I think it was typed. But he said, you know, I hope that you could, You know, marry a man who's also in ministry, and then y'all could minister together. Like, maybe he could be a pastor and, like, all this stuff.
2: And in later conversations, they
5: expressed more clearly. They were pretty opposed to it. I think they were concerned, am I just trying to extend the college experience and not move on as an adult? I think they wanted to make sure that I could establish myself. And a lot of campus ministers or missionaries, you raise your own support. And so I think they were concerned about
2: that. And all of this culminated in what essentially was a big fat no for Sabrina.
5: Uh, I was mad. I was angry. It wasn't what I wanted to hear, you know. I had a number of friends who were planning to join staff, and I felt like it wasn't fair, you know. This is something I'm really passionate about, and why do they get to do this, you know, and I don't.
3: Can we take a sidebar for a second? Sure. Sure. So, and this is, this is very much, this is a white male thing. I'm just baffled. Mm. Like, my experience in this moment is, like, I'm just, like, I don't understand. When I went into urban ministry, like, as, you know, a 19-year-old, like, I did not ask my parents for permission. I announced to them what mm-hmm. I was going to do. So it's just, it's very foreign, like, in, yeah. my, in my life experience. Mm,
2: yeah, it's interesting because, like, I hear Sabrina's story and I'm just, like, tracking with her. It's fascinating. It's almost like
3: uh, individualism versus sort of a communal view, you know?
2: Yeah, collective cultures emphasize group desires and needs over the desires of each individual person. It's like the relationships with the other people around you and how you're connected to them is a core way of how you understand yourself. And this is pretty common in East Asian cultures and many other cultures around the world. So like in a way, Sabrina's parents saying no to this decision, it's like a part of herself is saying no to this decision as well. And this was very different compared to some of her friends who came from more individualistic cultures. One of my white
5: friends in college at the time, she was just a year ahead of me. She told me, you know, yeah, my parents told me, whatever makes you happy. I looked at her, I thought, really? I really just thought that was on TV. And that sounded so appealing because I was like, oh, I wish my parents felt that way.
2: Okay, so one day she meets with this guy. He's actually the director of Asian American students at the national level of the ministry Sabrina's a part of.
5: Paul Tokenaga is his name. He came to campus and I remember we met up in the student center outside this late night eating place called Sammy's. It was cold, I remember that, and it's not often cold in Houston. And I just shared with him more about this
2: letter and more about my hopes. Paul was asking questions and reflecting back what he heard. And towards the
5: end of it, he was like, you know, just from listening to you talk, it sounds like you shouldn't apply at this point because your parents aren't necessarily at a a no forever. They're like, no for now. It does sound like maybe going into an engineering job for a year or two might be a way to honor your parents. I remember walking back to my dorm that night You know, it was dark, it was cold And I was just, uh,
2: sad Paul's response was not satisfying to Sabrina But she knew that there was truth to what he said It didn't feel like God was saying you have to do this right now, right? I did feel like I want to do this right now <laughs> And so Sabrina goes back to her dorm room, and she tries to process this. I remember writing in my journal about how I was so angry. I can
5: totally picture it. Like, it was a VeggieTales journal, and I was just, I was writing to God, writing about how I'm so effing angry. When I think about lying on the floor of my dorm room and writing in that journal, it felt like everything. I, I didn't feel like I could see that, that far
2: yeah, like, this is her world. But in her sadness and frustrations, she didn't completely write God off. But she also didn't necessarily have a strong sense of God's guidance either.
5: But I felt like my friends were hearing for me, you know, God is with you. Just that sense. Which meant a lot because, you know, I was angry at God. And at the same time, I was still engaging with God. And I felt like, okay, well, God's still with me. I'm, I
2: can still tell God how I feel. After she graduates, she applies and lands an engineering job in Houston while still living close to the college. She did the nine to five while also volunteering for the campus ministry. You know, one or two days a week, I was using my lunch
5: break to drive over to campus and meet with a student leader for discipleship. And one evening a week, I was helping to lead a Mark Bible study
2: And then a few months pass, then six months, then a year, week after week. You know, Sabrina works as an engineer, and at the same time, she's volunteering at the campus ministry in her free time. And she still feels unsettled about it all, but her parents' outlook hasn't shifted. Nothing is changing, and she begins to accept, hey, I guess this is my new life. But then one day, after about a year and a half into her engineering job, Sabrina actually decides to ask her parents about going into full-time ministry again. And they said,
5: You know, we're not opposed anymore. We're not necessarily supportive, but we don't think we can say, no, you shouldn't do
2: this. And so, you know, Sabrina is really glad to hear this news. And she goes for it. But then she finds out that the only ministry position available to her would require her to move to a brand new city. So, Sabrina ends up asking a couple of her friends to pray and fast with her. One day they were all hanging out together at someone's apartment. I really wanted clarity. And I remember that day
5: telling God like, "I just want skywriting. I would just want to step outside right now from this some whoever's apartment we're in and and see in the sky like I moved to Austin. moved to, move to, move to, move to, yeah, move to Austin And as we prayed more, I felt this sense that God was saying, I could do skywriting. like that's no big deal. <laughs> but I know you. What's more important here is is your relationship with me and I know you. If I did skywriting, when things get hard, you'll blame me, you'll be angry that I told you you had to do this. And I was like, oh, I guess that's kind of true. So I was like, okay, God, so I hear that. You're probably right. I mean, you are God. Um, then how should I pray? And I felt like I was saying, well, pray for enough to step out in a direction. And I thought, okay, well, I don't know what that means exactly, but I'll, I'll pray for that.
3: Oh my gosh, so like, God basically like put the decision back on Sabrina and said, like, you gotta pick one.
2: Yeah, it seemed like God wanted her to dig a little bit deeper and discern her own desires. And that would begin with not just standing at the fork in the road forever, but by choosing a path and taking a few steps forward. So, as Sabrina is trying to decide, she's sharing her dilemma with her friends, asking them to pray. And one of those friends ends up telling her, Sabrina, you've been spending your lunch breaks, a couple of
5: lunch breaks a week and one evening a week volunteering on campus. Like, you are still really passionate about this.
2: And that's when Sabrina realizes that there's something else at work under all of this. I mean, most of the barriers have now been removed. You know, her parents have given her their blessing. Her friends have given them their blessings. God has given her his blessing. And now with all of these hurdles removed and resolved, Sabrina realizes that the biggest thing that's been holding her back is actually something else, something that was hiding behind all of these other things.
5: I'm scared. I'm scared to leave Houston. I'm scared to leave the community I've already built again and scared to start over. Like, I don't have the roadmap. You know, I don't know what it'll look like to move to Austin. I don't know who I'll live with. I don't know what church I would be a part of. I don't know if I'm going to be good at this job. <laughs> but I do have enough to step out in a
2: direction. And so she makes a decision. She stopped standing at the fork, she chose a direction, and journeyed onward.
3: So, which path did she take?
2: She left Houston. She quit her job, packed up all of her belongings, and moved to Austin, Texas. And now she's been doing full-time campus ministry for over 20 years.
3: Oh my gosh, that's so great.
2: Yeah, and what's fascinating is that looking back on this decision, Sabrina said she realizes now that this process of discernment wasn't about what she thought it was about.
3: Wait, wait, what do you, what do you mean? What was it about then?
2: Well, she thought that it was all about discerning her career and her calling. And yes, that was definitely part of it. But she said that the bigger lesson from God was actually what he was telling her about their relationship.
5: I felt like, oh, God does know me. And that's what I needed to sort of, yeah, step out and own my decision too. I do feel like God was leading and inviting me that way.
2: Okay, well, we have conquered the three challenges of our journey, right? Yeah. We had, remember, the fog. Yeah, we confronted the fog, the face, and the fork. The fork. And I think it's safe to say that in each of these stories, there are a few ingredients that come up just over and over again, like trusting in Jesus, seeking counsel from your community, having authentic prayers, you know, the wisdom of scripture, confronting your fears, Patience, testing your instincts.
3: Yeah, you know, it makes me think of this story that Brendan Manning told about uh, this time that the famous ethicist John Kavanaugh went to go visit uh, Mother Teresa in Calcutta. And he went there because he was trying to figure out what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Like, he was trying to discern. What is it that I'm called to? And so he goes to Mother Teresa and he says, hey, will you pray for me? And Mother Teresa says, what do you want me to pray for? And Kavanaugh replies, clarity pray that I have clarity mother Teresa actually says no I'm not going to do that clarity is the last thing that you're clinging to and that you must let go of and Kavanaugh looks at her and says but you seem like you always have clarity clarity about what you're supposed to do and what's next and mother Teresa starts laughing and she says I have never had clarity what I have always had is trust so I will pray that you trust God If you've benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our interviewees today, Rob Shetler, Rob Vischer and Sabrina Chan. If you're interested in getting in touch with Rob Shetler for your own spiritual direction, you can learn more about his work in the show notes below. Also, if you'd like to know more about Sabrina Chan's ministry and the book that she co-wrote about her own journey, you can learn more about that in the show notes as well.
2: Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks.
3: This episode was produced and edited by Anna Tran, who recently was taking note of the rising gas prices.
5: Writing about how I'm so effing angry.
3: Additional story production from Rachel Zabo. Music for this episode comes from Blue Dot Sessions, Lee Rosevere, and Murphy DX.
2: If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer urban missions programs for young adults ages 18 to 30, bring social change with the gospel by working with an innovative nonprofit and serving your urban neighbors experience community like never before as you live and do ministry with other Christian young adults grow in your faith by walking in the life and lifestyle of Jesus and being part of a vibrant healthy church serve for a summer or a year learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org
3: which of these was a neighbor to the man in need the one who showed mercy Jesus tells us go and do likewise